Hi, Church of the Beloved. My name is Abe. I'm the pastor for our Wicker Park campus, and I'm so glad that you're joining us online um, to worship God today. Before we get started with today's message, I'm going to ask you to join with me in a prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, we adore you, we worship you, we honor you. And may your wisdom, may it be your truth that's made evident by every word that comes out of my mouth now. In your name we pray. I grew up in church, so these rules that were just read, these Ten Commandments, they were pretty well drilled into my head as a kid, but I grew up learning them a little old school, a little bit different. Uh, We used the King James Version, so it would be things like, uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me, or or thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, and, and thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Saying them out loud using the old English language, I, I think the, it gives the commandments some heft, a little gravitas. And in all honesty, it does make me feel a little awkward because nobody likes rules, honestly. In, in today's Western culture, it, it's, it's a, there's a desire to accept anything and everything. You know, live and let live is probably a mantra most folks who are listening in today would probably think, yeah, that sounds about right. What I plan to do today, I'm not going to dive into each individual commandment. Uh, I, I do encourage small groups, community groups, if you have the time, do so. Go into it deep. You're going to have the time and the space to do that. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a community group, you're not in a small group right now, whether it's virtual or in real life, I'm going to ask you, text COTB to 97000, and we're going to do our best to get you connected to one. But what I do want to do today, what I plan on doing, is to take a look at what theologians call the Decalogue, or these Ten Commandments as a whole. And I want to talk about why it is something that we need to take the time to study. Um, If you're taking notes, you're keeping score, I am going to have three points that I'd like to make today and end with what I hope will be a good practical component application for you to take away. And I want to lead us into our first point by clarifying something. Many Christians will ask this question, you know, didn't Jesus' death and resurrection kind of negate the need for us to worry about the law anymore? Jesus very uh, specifically answers that question in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 17 and 18, and there he wrote this, or he said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. You know, there are a few folks that will see the Old Testament as the old way of doing things, you know. The New Testament with Jesus and mercy and love and grace, that's more my jam. This way of thinking sometimes leads to an understanding or belief that the stuff of the Old Testament, interesting, good backstory, but ultimately irrelevant. And I want to tell you, it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It's an incorrect view of the Bible because you see this book, This Bible in its entirety is pointing us to Jesus Christ. Our sermon series is entitled The Gospel or the Good News About Jesus According 
to Exodus because we want everyone to see that the truth of the story of our redemption is seen even in this Old Testament book. And, and in Matthew, Jesus is making it uber clear that the law or, or, or the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, whatever you call it, they do not go away because Jesus is here. Now the law becomes more real because Jesus is here. I, I need to point something out to you. Uh, ultimately, regarding these Ten Commandments, this law, it was never going to save you. See, these rules were never going to be the source of my salvation or, or your redemption because of our flesh. You see, Romans chapter 7, verse 10 to 11, it reads this, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through 4, because it says something similar. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, the law was never going to be able to, to save. Instead, we need to understand that the law was given because you are saved. And this is going to bring us to our very first point regarding why we need to take the time to consider these Ten Commandments, these Ten Commandments that, that were passed down by God. These Ten Commandments was and are for the redeemed. It is not to redeem. I want to go back to verses 1 and 2 that Elena read for us today. And it starts off in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, and God spoke all these words words. Just a little tangent for a moment. Um, I want you to notice that these words that are being said, they're not coming from Moses or some other prophet. It doesn't start with a, thus saith the Lord kind of beginning. Now it says here, God spoke all these words. So this is coming directly from the mouth of God. These words, God speaking to everyone gathered at the base of Mount Sinai. And we can see what that sounded like a little bit in verse 18. Because in verse 18 it says, Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off. The natural reaction when you start hearing the voice of God, not just hearing it, feeling it, seeing it, when you see that, the natural reaction is to, to freak out a little bit, to get a little scared. Let's go back to verses 1 and 2 and to our point today. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So before any of these rules, before the Decalogue, before the law was handed down to Israel, 
God reminds them. He already saved them. See, God had made a promise and he kept it. God brought Israel out of bondage and then gave them the law. The purpose of the law is not to redeem us. It's for the redeemed. I want to read to you from Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. And it says this. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The law was never going to save. The work of the perfect and sinless son of God the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that does save us. And now, because Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, now I can live by this Decalogue. See, because I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Now I can live by these commandments. Because when, when Jesus left and went back to heaven to start preparing a home for you and for me, and he left behind a helper, the Holy Spirit who abides in us, now we can live by this law. Because the law is for the redeemed. It wasn't given to redeem. Now, now, if these Ten Commandments are given to all of us because we are already redeemed and beloved children of God, and, and not to become beloved and redeemed children of God, why do I need to really bother studying them? You know, because I mean, I'm, de- I'm redeemed already, right? So do I need to live by these rules, these laws? Short answer, yes. Longer answer is what leads me to my second point, and that's this. The law is intended to liberate. It is not intended to subjugate. See, the law liberates by moving us towards a discipline, and more precisely, a spiritual discipline that gives us freedom. And I want to take a moment to unpack that idea, the idea that we can become more liberated and more free by becoming more disciplined. Because I know it can seem a bit illogical. Now, my primary musical instrument, for those of you who don't know, is the bass guitar. I've been playing bass since I was about 14 years old. I've actually been involved in music since I was like six. You know, I've played the violin, the trumpet, the French horn, the guitar, but bass. Bass is my thing. That's, that's where I live. Now, back in the 80s when I was learning this, before YouTube and before the Internet, the only way you could learn to play something was you either had to buy a book, get lessons, pay for lessons, or find a friend. I grew up a little bit on the poorer side, and so I found a friend. And this friend showed me the basics, and he showed me how to play different kinds of scales, major scale, minor, pentatonic, blues. And from there, uh, I started to learn what my boundaries were with regards to music. And I would practice, and I would play every single day, every night. I, I actually had to start sleeping on the floor in my bedroom because I would fall asleep practicing. And I didn't want the bass to fall too far to the floor because... I was poor. It wasn't mine. I was borrowing it from somebody. Anyway, I started to understand what my boundaries were because I now had my musical law in front of me. I had my musical law all around me, and and I was now free to explore what worked and what didn't work. I I was liberated to try different patterns, different combinations, and, and I was set free to explore 
different musical expressions because I had been provided the boundaries that would work. I had provided the basic rules to follow, and I practiced that discipline to do just that. Now, these Ten Commandments, they're given by God to his redeemed, not as an act of enslavement, not for subjugation. These rules are not given to restrict us. No, this law is given by God to his redeemed to free us, to liberate us, to enable us to live the lives that God intends for us. I mean, I want you to think about the rule that he gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God tells Adam and Eve this. You've got access to everything in this entire garden. Every tree, every fruit, every fried chicken wing, every Kobe steak. Just just this one tree. Don't eat from this one tree. But instead of seeing that as an act of liberation, our ancestors saw that as an act of subjugation. They saw that as limitation, not liberation. And say they, they look at one, that, that one tree and say, oh, that's the one I want to eat from. That's, that's the fruit I want to take. In Genesis, we see God made the world, and it was good. And this law, given by God, is supposed to remind us of that. See, it reminds us that God's creation is beautiful and is available. But these things, these things are going to hurt you. So please, don't do these things. You've got access to everything else. Explore that. Make beautiful music, and you will be set free Acts chapter 13, verse 38 and 39. This is what it says there. It says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, speaking of Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The law liberates. It doesn't subjugate. But unfortunately, Humanity's natural reaction to being told not to do something is to want to do nothing else. If I were to tell you right now, do not think of a banana, I have a feeling all of you are thinking of a banana. So, so when you're told not to make any idols, suddenly you're going to grab that lucky charm that you happen to have and you start thinking about that instead of guys. I, I, I'd rather trust that. When you're told that you cannot use the Lord's name in vain, all you can think is OMG. When you're told to honor your mom and your dad, you're thinking, God, but you don't know them. I mean, they're going to vote for the other guy. How in the world could I possibly honor them? The law liberates. I promise you, it does not subjugate. And the discipline that we are called to so that we can be set free, it requires us to understand something. This, that God knows better. And by allowing this law to be the thing I follow instead of my own desires, by, by allowing the law to draw our boundaries, then we're given the opportunity to live truly free, to live the life God had intended for us from the very beginning. The law is for the redeemed. It's not supposed to redeem. The law liberate. It does not subjugate. And the last point I want to make, the third one here, is that the law is not just telling us what to do. It's showing us who God is. The, in other words, the Decalogue displays the character of God. The law is presenting the heart of our Redeemer. I want to consider these Ten Commandments and show you who that God is. The first four commandments, 
They show me a God who wants me to understand that he comes first. And then the fifth commandment shows me a God that understands how important my family is. You go to commandments 6 through 10, it shows me a God who wants me to remember that others are made in his image and that he wants me to love and to care for them. This is the God I worship. This is the God that we follow. This is who the Decalogue presents to each of us, a God who prioritizes first himself, but also prioritizes family and also prioritizes his beloved, the society around us. And if we take a moment to just unpack God's character as put on display by these commandments just a little bit more, the Decalogue, these Ten Commandments, not only display God's priorities, but it, it also shows us how to prioritize. And we're called to prioritize God, family, and society through our thoughts, through our words, and through our deeds. And I'm going to go backwards here from the Ten Commandments. The Ten Tenth commandment, it presents a God who understands that true freedom uh, in society requires me to consider society in my thoughts. Don't covet the things that your friends have. Rejoice with them in it. The ninth commandment, to consider society in my words. Don't spread lies about your neighbor. The sixth, seventh, and eighth commandments, to consider society in our deeds. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. And we see the same pattern of thoughts, words, and deeds when it comes to giving God all the glory as well. God, God shows that we are to bring him all the glory through our thoughts by not having any idols to replace him. That's the first and second commandments. We see in the third commandment that, that we are to bring God all the glory through our words by remembering and realizing that the name of God what a beautiful name it is. Don't squander that name. And the fourth commandment shows that we are to bring God all the glory with our deeds by, by doing everything during the week so that on this day, on this Sabbath day, we might set it fully apart, set it aside for God alone. The law is not merely a set of rules telling us what to do. It is a presentation of God's very nature. And these Ten Commandments, they display a God who deserves all the glory. It presents a God that not only wants us to worship him so that we can experience the joy of the life he intends for us, but one that also understands that we have to prioritize family. And, and these commandments highlight God's love for all nations, for all those created in his image, black, white, yellow, red, and how we are called to do exactly the same. The law is for the redeemed. The law liberates. And the law shows us who God is. So now, let's talk about how we, including myself, might apply this truth to our day-to-day. And I want to turn to Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. And there it says this, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And I'm going to ask the tech crew who have been working so hard right now to uh, keep that verse on the screen for a minute. Because I want to break it down a little bit. Because it starts off by Moses telling us, the Israelites, do not fear. Don't be afraid of God. This God has given you this law because he loves you. This God has given you these commandments 
because he wants you to, to, he wants to set you apart. This God has given you this law because you are redeemed. And verse 20 continues on. It says, for God has come to test you. A few, few weeks ago, I, I explained that the word test is not merely a pass-fail kind of thing. God's testing is God providing experience. God providing you and me the opportunity to live life with him. The law liberates, absolutely, but it does not isolate. God is ever-present. The, the covenant promise that God entered into with Israel, it reminds his chosen ones that they are not alone. This law reminded the Israelites that they were going to do this with their Redeemer. I am your God. I am with you. Today, because Christ has fulfilled the law and, and made the law more real to those who call Jesus Christ their Savior, this law is now a reminder to you and to me that we are set apart, but we are not alone because we're doing this with our Redeemer. In verse 20, Moses continues on by saying that the fear of him may be before you. And now this is a different type of fear from what we started. This is awe. This is reverence. This, we are called to be in awe of God. We are called to revere the God who is giving you and me the boundaries by which together we can become a holy nation set apart from the rest of the world. And finally, in verse 20, Moses ends the verse by saying and explaining why God's giving them the law in the first place. It is so that you may not sin. God is providing this law, this decalogue, the, these boundaries, so that Israel might become a holy nation. And God gives this law so that Israel, as a nation, might become a royal priesthood. This law is given so that the beloved children of God might be set apart and made distinctive from the rest of the world. And by doing so, they might fulfill a promise that God gave to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. And there it says this, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. The nation of Israel is given this law so that they might become a holy nation through whom all the nations might receive the blessing and promise that God intended. And, and, and unless you are of Jewish descent, you are a recipient of that blessing. I am a recipient of that grace. We are recipients of that promise. But now it's our turn because, because we're the new Israel. We are the beloved children of God, the women and the men who have heard and recognized the Savior's voice and proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God and that by God's grace alone, through our faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, we are now a holy nation set apart and made distinct from the rest of the world by this law. This is our calling that, so that we can continue to be a blessing to all the nations, so that others might come to know the Lord, our Savior, as well. And, and, and in order to do that, in order to do that, we need to practically live out this law. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1 and 2, it says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy. 
For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. My God is holy. So, so therefore, I will strive to be holy. And, and if the law is showing us who God is, and if God is wanting me to be holy like him, then I need to learn this law. And, and I mean that literally. I need to learn this law. I, this, this is my challenge to you today. The application I want to leave you with is pretty simple. Memorize the law. Meditate on this law. Let the law become part of who you are. Now, I realize that this application may seem a bit overly simplistic and maybe even legalistic, and I, I promise that's not my intent. But the only way to truly become a nation set apart, a people different from the world around us, is to know what would make us different from the world around us. And, and it's this law. Do you know all ten? Can you name them? I'm giving you a chance. First one, there's only one God. You don't have to memorize it word for word, by the way. Second one, don't replace that God with an idol. Third one, remember, God's name is way too beautiful to waste. The fourth one, keep this day holy. Fifth one, honor your mom and dad. Six through nine, don't murder, don't commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie. And the last one, don't covet. Because you see where your heart is, it actually matters. Laws for the redeemed. Obedience to that law is the right response to our redemption. Knowing and following the law, it will set us free. And the law creates this spiritual discipline that allows us to fully realize the life that God had intended for us from the beginning. And to know these boundaries, we need to literally know these boundaries. So I ask you, learn this law. Memorize this law. Meditate on this law. Let it become a part of who you are. And, and as we allow the law, these commandments, this decalogue to become a part of us, then our natural response towards self-centeredness is replaced by a God-centeredness. And we become a holy nation that's set apart so that the world might come to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm going to close our time in prayer. Will you pray with me?